Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. We have another bonus episode for you. Today, we had a, a great conversation with uh, Mr. Michael Bort, who is the co-founder of Heroic Public Speaking and the author of Steal the Show, which is a great book. We talk about this book. You need to pick up this book, Steal the Show, uh, from speeches to job interviews to deal closing pitches, how to guarantee a standing ovation for all the performances in your life. You need to make sure that you pick up Steal the Show. Uh, but we talk about you know the current speaking climate, the current speaking industry and how the uh, COVID situation is going to be affecting that, how it's already affecting it and will continue to affect it. We also talk a lot about how speakers can be working on their speeches, right? The most important marketing tool that you have is your speech. And so we talk about the things that you could be tweaking and improving. Michael gives some great examples of how you can continue to uh, level up in your speaking. We also talk a lot about virtual speaking. And is this something that's temporary? Is this going to be, a re be around for a long time? And then finally, we just talk about let's, what's kind of, how do we need to be thinking about this adjustments, pivots we need to be making in our businesses and uh, how do we stay positive in the midst of all of this? So great conversation with uh, Michael Port. Let's, uh, let's jump right into it. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are uh, keeping your head up in the midst of this strange, weird world. Uh, as you may have been following along, we've been doing a series of these conversations with speakers and those in the speaking industry, just talking about how we can be adapting and adjusting in this COVID-19 world. Uh, excited about today's guest. We're going to be talking with uh, my friend, Mr. Michael Port, author of Steal the Show. If you haven't picked up this book, go get that book. It's a great book you need. If ever there was a time to be working on your talk, now is that time and that's the book that you need. So, uh, Michael, thanks for joining us. How's your, uh, how you doing? How you feeling? Uh, you know, I feel, uh, I feel very fortunate. Um, of course, those of us that have the ability to shelter in place, uh, yeah. at present are, are certainly very privileged. A lot of folks, um, have to be out there. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, you know, folks, um, who are first responders who are, you know, who are taking risk every single day. And, uh, you know, we appreciate them and we feel blessed to, you know, to have the opportunities we do. Uh, but, you know, it's a roller coaster ride, I think, for most yeah. people. Uh, you know, some mornings I'm raring to go and I'm, I'm like ready to do some deep work. Uh, and then by the afternoon, I'm like, what, what the heck? I, I just want to go, you know, <laughs> chop some wood. Right, right. <laughs> you know? right, uh, right. So it's, it, it goes like this. And it's, you know, we have a, we have a pretty big team uh, at HBS. And, uh, you know, we've got 10,000 square feet that is closed right now. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's challenging, but, uh, but I know, you know, it'll get, we'll get through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I keep telling my wife, either it'll pass or I will pass. So that's, <laughs> that's pretty much the only options at this point. So, uh, you've, uh, well, first of all, wh where'd the glasses go? We like the glasses. Uh, well, I took them off cause you know, I just wanted to make sure people could see my eyes. The, the reason I have these glasses on, even though uh, they're kind of clownish, you'll see they have a speaker in them right here. Oh. So, uh, but that's not actually why I'm wearing them, but that's why they're clownish. They only make 
this this frame and one other frame. But my regular glasses, this was the pair that I wear here, although I can't see anything through it because I dropped it on the concrete and it skid 20 feet down our driveway. So um, it's all scratched up. So I can't see that. And that was the pair that I was wearing because the other two pairs were already broken. Uh, so, you know, eventually uh, I'll just be fumbling around in the dark. <laughs> Uh, if the eyeglass place doesn't open back up. No, I've got uh, I've got these that are supposed to be like the the blue lights, whatever. So I wear them a lot of times if when like when I'm working. But man, there's so much glare and reflection yeah. there. So they don't they don't work for an, for like an interview or video thing like That's this. Exactly. But. Yeah, no, I put the same thing, the blue blockers in all my yeah. glasses, uh, and they they create a big glare. And I also got the anti glare. So when when I've noticed that there was a big glare in the glasses, like if I move my head up, look. You can yeah. see my little round light yeah. right in my eyes. Yeah. So I called up the eyeglasses place prior COVID and I said, hey, listen, I'm getting a glare in my glasses, but I paid for this anti-glare. And they said, oh, no, that's that's not how it works. The anti-glare is for you. So you don't get a glare, um, not for other people. And I said, but but that's not what I need. <laughs> they said, well, we don't really work with a lot of people who do, you know, video and are on tv so right right okay all right it is what it is yeah. now uh again you you've been in the speaking industry for a long time you've uh you know you've seen some uh the highs and lows of this uh the speaking industry is one that has just it's been around for a long time for everyone but mm -hmm. this is weird right now uh so what's kind of your what's kind of your take on it and uh how have you been kind of thinking about this in the past few weeks sure so you know i started in 2003 so i've certainly seen uh, lots of ups and downs over the years uh, and 2008 was pretty tough uh, mm -hmm. that year. Uh, it it came back, you know, pretty quickly uh, because it never stopped. And that's the big difference between then and now. Yeah. You know, in 2008, things certainly slowed down. People didn't want to pay as much. Uh, there might have been fewer opportunities, but, you know, the gigs were still there. Yeah. Events were still happening. This, with everything being shut down, it really is quite different. And, uh, unfortunately, I do think it's going to be uh, a slow uh, recovery. I don't think it's going to come flooding back because there's just uh, too much risk to the event planners and the organizations that are putting on events to make big financial commitments until they know that people can sit shoulder to shoulder. Right. Uh, and we probably are going to need a vaccine um, or at least much, much, much better testing uh, in place uh, before we get there. So unfortunately, I you know, I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not clairvoyant, so I can't make predictions about yeah. the future, uh, but it does seem to be um, something that's going to take a little you know, while to come back. And what that, what that tells me is that you can't be average uh, coming out of this. Yeah. You've got to be best in class. The work that, you know, that you do as a, as a performer is got to be transformational because as the events start to come back, they're going to, they're going to try to get the best that they can, yeah. uh, and the best will be available. Uh, so I think that what we, what it will do, and I actually like this personally, is I think it'll keep raising the bar for yeah. speakers. Uh, and I think that if the industry raises the bar, then the speakers will raise the bar. And one of the reasons that I think sometimes speakers can get away with delivering um, work that is not particularly deep work, but just based on their expertise, because you know answering questions based on your expertise is certainly uh, helpful to folks, but it, it may not uh, be a transformational keynote type experience that people want to pay a lot of money for. Right. Uh, so if the industry expects more, then the speakers will start to step up and deliver more. And as the speakers deliver more, the industry will go, wow, they're 
we're getting even more, so we'll expect more. And mm -hmm. ultimately, I think that's good for the industry, and I think it's great for audiences. What are some things that speakers should be doing and working on right now? Because I, I know one of the things that speakers, uh, especially speakers who are busy or speaking full time, they have a lot going on. They find a talk, or they find a story, or they find a bit that works, and you may tweak it, you know, from time to time. It's like, ah, for the most part, I know it's there, it works, uh, and so it, it's easy to kind of fall into these habits, these routines, where we we don't do much with it because we know it, it works. Yeah. Uh, and the other side of it is is going like. I'd love to work on it, but I, I just, I don't have the time. And now all of a sudden speakers have nothing but time. Sure. So what are ways that speakers could be maximizing this time right now uh, to improve their talk and just to improve their, their, you know, overall uh, performance as speakers? Yeah, sure. So, you know, a lot of speakers uh, use their live performances as rehearsals. It's often uh, how they improve the speech by right. delivering the speech. Right. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, that can work over time, but, uh, when you when you have an extended period of time where you can do really deep work and you can actually um, uh, block out a rehearsal process, well, you know now you're getting you're you're able to uh, invent and reinvent your speech uh, in ways that uh, you might not have even thought of before because when you rehearse in front of an audience, you're not actually testing different choices you're often just seeing what works and then you say, well, that seemed to work. I'll stick with that. Right. But our rehearsal process is designed to do a couple things. Number one, uh, help us make bigger choices that raise the stakes for the audience. Mm -hmm. You know, the rehearsal process, if, if you're not familiar with it, you know, if you haven't done a lot of it, often one thinks that the rehearsal process is just running through the material you know, almost like a warm-up, mm -hmm. but really a rehearsal process is designed to do very deep work by identifying the various choices that you could make at any given moment in a performance and then testing those choices. Now, you know, there are multiple steps in the rehearsal process. One of them is what we call an invited rehearsal, where you bring in people so that they can see what you're doing and you can then control the feedback loop. You right. don't just say, Hey, so what do you think? Right. Uh, you know, you get very, very clear about what feedback you're looking for and how you want it from them. Because just because somebody knows what they like and don't like, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can translate that into uh, advice that will actually be helpful for you as a speaker. Our job as a speaker, as a performer is to be able to translate that advice yeah. uh, and then, you know, uh, and then act on it. And that's different than working with a director or a coach who actually does know what they're doing. But right. if you just bring in, you know, people that you uh, either colleagues or or friends or family, uh, that's a little bit different. So when you go into um, rehearsal, you know, how can you continue to make bigger and bigger and bigger choices and test them in front of other people? Mm -hmm. So now, you know, certainly you may have your family at home and they may not be the best audience uh, for you. Uh, but you can, uh, you know, get with some colleagues, uh, you know, set up your Zoom, uh, set up your uh, space, uh, just like it, you're on a stage, uh, and then do sections of your speech and ask for specific feedback. So, for example, you know, every speech needs to have a big idea. Sure. If there isn't a big idea, then the speech often doesn't have uh, any kind of uh, foundational elements uh, from which to build. And that big idea needs to be supported by a through line. Uh, throughout the entire speech that ultimately arrives at a promise. 
And so if you say to people who are watching, well, uh, my big idea was X. Did you get it? Most people are going to say, oh, yeah, 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 no, yeah, right, I got it. Sure, I got it. Right, right, right. Instead, you might say, so can you, in one sentence, articulate what my big idea was? Yeah. And that's all you're asking for. Uh, and if you if they can, then you nailed it. If they can't, then you got to go work on that. And so then when you control the feedback loop, uh, because you know what you're working on and what you're trying to accomplish, uh, then you can very, very quickly get feedback from other people, even if they're not professionals or uh, not professional teachers of this. Uh, you can then translate it uh, and you can keep working on improve the material. Right, right. So when you talk about making bigger and bigger choices, do you have any examples that come to mind of, here's an example of where a speaker, they made this choice, we worked with them, here's how they made a bigger choice instead and how that changed the, the tone of the talk. Sure, yeah. So I'll give you an example. So uh, Andrew Davis, of course, is a friend of yours also. And uh, Andrew and I are working on a book together, but I've also worked on a number of his speeches um, as a director. And there's, uh, there's one section of one of his speeches where when he first brought it uh, to me, he had a box, a, a mystery box. You know what a mystery box yep. is? Yeah. yeah cool. I, actually, I didn't know what a mystery box was until he- I love the idea it. of it. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's really uh, quite clever. And just for those who are uninitiated, uh, like I was, uh, you can go to Amazon and you can buy a mystery box. And they'll tell you that the value in the box will range from, say- 1995 to 54.95 uh, and then they'll have a price on it now the price will be you know somewhere in that range so you don't know you what you get could be less valuable what you get could be more valuable it's a mystery box and and he told what me, i thought it was but carry on <laughs> oh what did you think it was well, i thought like well like think about like when a, a speaker i've done this before where i come up on stage and you have a a box uh, on stage that you're not addressing, but uh, the it, it gets the audience attention of like, what's in the box? I want to know what's oh, yeah. in the box. Oh, I'm thinking yeah. about what's in the box before yeah, like, I'm not addressing, I'm not talking about it. It's just, it's a mystery box on stage that I'm going to get to, but it keeps yeah. people's attention and you've opened that loop just by the physical box itself. That's yeah, what that's, I was thinking about. That's a theoretical mystery box. Sure, exactly. This is an actual An thing actual one, okay. People sell, people buy, so when he said it to me, I said, wait, you mean people really actually buy this? And he showed me, he took me to Amazon. He showed me that, you know, people, how, how many, uh, you know, of these are sold and right. how many people buy them. And I said, it's incredible. So, but he brought it on to do something like that, where he puts down the box and it becomes the kind of mystery box that you're referring to on stage. Um, and so the initial choice was just coming out with the box, putting it down and then going about the speech and maybe referencing it a, a couple of times. But one, what, what we did was raise the stakes by making bigger choices. So when he comes on with the box, he's he does a very, very cheeky walk onto stage with the box. Then when he puts the box down, he goes to open it, but then he stops and he goes to start to speak to the audience. Then instead of, then he stops, he goes back to the box, starts to open, you know, actually let right. me hold. So we kept, we kept building this bit, building this right. bit, building this bit. And then he got to the point where he does, he opens the box and he reaches in and he's about to take it, but he puts it back and he doesn't take it out. <laughs> so the, the stakes kept getting higher and higher and higher until the audience is on the edge of their seat, just wondering what the heck is in that box. Right, right. Um, and, uh, and it was a wonderful opening. And then it really um, worked very well throughout the whole speech until he got to the section where he actually opened up and took something out of that mystery box. I feel like we all got to know what was in the mystery box. 
Oh, I can't tell you. You got to go see. You got to go see the speech. <laughs> but it also feels like when you're when you're doing something like that, when you're you're raising the stakes higher and higher and higher, then obviously you have to deliver because if if he keeps teasing, 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 and then the the quote unquote delivery or the punchline doesn't match up with yeah. the level he's taken it to, then it's like, oh, that was it. Like he built yeah. up for that. So yeah. so you do have to like raise the bar, not just in the tease, but in the uh, I guess in the you know kind of in the the, the follow through, the delivery of it. I mean, the truth is that it, that that applies to anything we do on stage. So if we're telling a story, you know, if we've got this very, very long involved story and then we get to the, you know, the resolution of the story and people go, oh, that's it. Yeah. Oh, it's a little bit like, you know, the ending of The Sopranos. You know, you may be, you're too young. I wasn't young, young, but I I didn't watch it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but it's like the ending of The Sopranos. Everyone Were you in it? Were you in in any of the episodes? No. You know what's strange? I auditioned for The Sopranos a a bunch of times, but they kept bringing me in to play these guys who were not mafia guys. (laughs) You have to imagine, you have to use your imagination for a second, because I once had hair. Now- A lot of hair. A lot of hair. And I had thick- black hair. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in New York. So like I could play mafia guys. I actually even did play my, I played, there was these Budweiser commercials, uh, many, many, this is 25 years ago, but, uh, that uh, were really popular with these what's up guys. And they'd go, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. And then they did a bunch of spinoffs and they did one called the Jersey guys. Okay. <laughs> so I was cast as one of the Jersey guys and we did seven spots, seven different commercials. Okay. And we were, you know, like gold chain, you know, shiny suits, the whole thing. Right. And, and what we would say to each other, and some people might remember this and it is on YouTube. It can be found. I was getting ready to ask. Okay. We would, yeah, we would say, we would say, how you doing? 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 So each guy would say the same thing. And then at the very end, they would cut to me. And I was usually on a telephone because the whole thing went through a telephone chain. Uh-huh. It was, how you doing? 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 Beat. You don't want to know. <laughs> so, so anyhow, so the mafia, got, I, but the point is, is that I, I never got to audition for one of those characters. Yeah. So I was always auditioning for these sort of waspy, like, you know, tennis pro guys or something, which <laughs> didn't fit. So I never got on that show, unfortunately, but that those were the days when I was act, was acting. That's how long ago that was. All right, let me ask you this. So, oh, go, go ahead. No, finish, yeah, finish the, the Sopranos thought. Well, no, but if the story keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, right. and then there's no payoff, right. we're like, oh. So the length of our story often needs to be proportionate to the payoff that the audience gets from it. Right. I'll give you another example of raising the stakes. So before I retired from keynoting, and I retired from keynoting because – I didn't want any conflict of interest. So if I was working with, you know, the top, uh, you know, level speakers on the keynote circuit, I don't think it's right for them to be auditioning, to be um, up against the person that they trust most who's directing their speech. Sure. It'd just be weird. You know, I was yeah. working with Jay Bear on a speech and we were sitting at, um, at the table and I had this idea for something in the opening I thought was brilliant. And for half a second, I went, right. maybe I should keep that one. Yeah. And that's when I knew I had to retire. And that was about, maybe almost six years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. About six years ago. So, um, but there was a speech I did called the think big revolution. And there was a section of the speech where I showed a video that was a clip from 60 minutes where they, where they profiled a photographer who has one of those old time cameras with the Uh little thing he goes under and he he would find 
random people on the street in New York City that seemed about as different as you possibly could imagine two people could be. And then he would he would somehow convince them to get into very, very personal, intimate poses with each other. Not mm -hmm. sexual in nature, but just intimate, personal. Mm -hmm. And the photography was in, is absolutely extraordinary. And so there was a, a section in the speech where I showed this video. And in, in earlier um, drafts of the speech, uh, I was working on it where I showed it and then I talked about it. I thought, I don't know, the, the stakes are not high enough because there's no risk for the audience mm -hmm. at this time. All they do is see it. They watch it. They may shed a tear. I may be able to intellectually get them to see how important this kind of uh, human interaction is and this intimacy is. But how do I raise the stakes? So then I thought, well, I need to have them do it. Now, I show the video. They would you know, usually uh, shed some tears because it's yeah. really moving. And then I'd say, hey, you know what? Now we're going to do it. And they, they, I could hear, you know, you could feel them go, wait, what? That's what? not what I signed up for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so they're looking around like, who am I going to be doing this with? Right. So, uh, so I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to show some of the, I'm going to show in slide form the pictures that he took. And then you're going to get in groups of five and you're going to get into those poses and take pictures with your phones, et cetera. Uh, and I, you know, I outlined some other rules to keep it safe. Sure. And it immediately raised the stakes. Yeah. Now I couldn't do this in the opening of the speech because right. the, the, the amount of uh, the all audience interaction should be proportionate to the amount of trust that we've earned. Yeah. And, you know, if I was famous, famous, like an Oprah famous, I could ask them to do that as soon as they walk in the door. Right. But if they don't know me that well, or maybe they've read my books or heard of me, but they don't have a personal relationship with me yet, it's too soon to do that at the beginning of a speech. So that came about um, a little past the three quarter mark. Yeah. And so the way I designed the speech is I kept asking for more and more and more and more and more throughout the speech uh, until the climax at the end, when I would ask the most of them, Right. Because, you know, I, I saw, I heard uh, Andrew Stanton, who is one of the principals at um, Pixar, once said that uh, when they think of a perfect film, they think of a four, like a four is a perfect film. And so their job is to give the audience two, and they expect the audience to give them two. Because if you give the audience four, and you don't expect them to give you anything, yeah, then they just sort of sit back. And they don't have to do any work. Right. It just washes over them. Yeah. If if you only give them one, you're not giving them enough. So it's too much work for them. And they're not willing to do it. So it's a balance. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's sort of like Milton, Milton Friedman said, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. I think you got to make your audience work for their lunch. Yeah. Uh, but not so hard that it's not worth it. Or, or too difficult. You know, if they're having trouble following you from a content perspective, well, that's not the kind of work we're talking about. Right. Uh, but um, but you just keep asking a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and they get more and more comfortable taking bigger and bigger risks uh, until by the end they've had a very transformational experience. Uh, I'm curious on a couple of things. As as in this day and age where things are starting to shift to at the moment more and more things are happening virtually, uh, I'd be curious two things. One, 
do you feel like this virtual thing is is just kind of a a temporary band-aid it's a pivot and we're just kind of buying time and and it is what it is right now and so speakers are moving that direction events are moving that direction um or is this more of a a, a permanent thing that, that more and more speakers are like I can do multiple talks on the same day. I don't have to go anywhere. I can stay home. I can be with my family. One of the things we were talking before we went live here is that there, there's nothing that replaces the in-person interaction. So live events are always going to have a place. But do you feel like that that uh, that virtual opportunities and virtual speaking engagements and virtual presentations is this a temporary thing, or is this something that speakers really need to think about incorporating into their businesses? Um, a broken clock is right twice a day. Uh, so again, I, I'm always nervous about making predictions. Sure. But uh, I, I, I think it depends. Frankly, I think that if you know, if within, if it, if by 2021, you know, we're back and having events, and you know, people are not worried about um, getting sick. Uh, I think you know, certainly there may be some more uh, virtual you know, events just because people got used to it, right? maybe a little bit more comfortable with it. Um, but, um, but I think we'll see, you know, a return to something a little bit more um, akin to what, you know, we saw uh, previously. If yeah. this lasts a lot longer, well, we might start to see a little bit more of a shift uh, in the industry in terms of how um, events are, you know, planned and, and executed. But I just, I don't like it that much personally, Yeah, the virtual stuff. I think that um, we know from a, from a scientific perspective, from a neuroscience perspective, that people don't have the same kind of uh, experience uh, virtually. It's very difficult to, uh, to make any kind of uh, kinet kinesthetic uh, connection online. Uh, and uh, I, I don't think it's where the transformation occurs. Yeah. At least I haven't seen it now. Uh, if speakers feel that they can produce broadcast TV quality experiences, much like, um, you know, the daily show, mm -hmm. uh, well then that, that might be something that could stick. Uh, but I think for the most part, uh, I, yeah, I think we'll see some more of it, but I can't see a shift uh, that seismic, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden we're not going to have events anymore. Yeah. And, and I think there's some economic reasons uh, behind it too, because most events, most events are driven by trade show revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't seen anybody in the conference space figure out how to create a virtual trade show environment that is, uh, as lucrative for the vendors and for the event organizer. Right. So very often speakers think uh, in terms of uh, the speaker and the speaking experience, but most big events, most big events make their money through the trade shows. And so until someone figures out how to make those trade shows as profitable mm -hmm. online, uh, I still, I still think the they're going to be, you know, trying to move back, uh, you know, into the into the in, into the actual rooms. Plus, the the hotel industry, the convention industry, right. relies on these events. So most of the hotels, the big uh, chain hotels, m much of their uh, income 
is derived through these big meetings, these big events. And so they're going to be throwing deals at event planners to try to get them back. Yeah. Uh, And so uh, given that there's such a massive industry connected to having these events in person, forget about the speaking side of it for a second. Just thinking about the hotel, the catering, the AV, um, uh, the trade show business, just the freaking coffee. Right, right, right. I mean, the coffee costs more than most speakers. Right, right. So uh, I think we're going to be back. Uh, I do think it's going to take a while. Um, personally, for me, you know, our our focus at HBS is on what happens in the room. Yeah, I, I just find it most interesting, most stimulating, uh, and uh, you know, you know, yeah. That's what I think. Let me ask you one more thing before we wrap up here. Uh, for speakers that are, are watching or listening right now who are in the thick of this going, I you know, I, I had uh, a great business going or some level of business going. I had a bunch of engagements. Now all those engagements are gone. Um, even as you know, you and I were talking a little before we went live, just as, as entrepreneurs, there's days where you're like, oh, we'll be fine. We'll get through this. And your day's just like, golly, this is, this is different. Um, so any advice or recommendations that you would have for speakers on just keeping your head in the right space and and not getting discouraged or beat up and and knowing that this will pass and there will be uh, we will get to the other side of this and 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 speakers and the speaking industry at large will be better as a result of it. How do how do we keep our head in the right place? Well, I I would say talk to a lot of people, meaning don't isolate yourself. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's critical. Uh, every day. I call at least three colleagues just to say, hi, what's going on? Anything I can do? Uh, Because I want to make sure uh, that, um, A, um, I'm continuing to support my network Mm -hmm. uh, of of colleagues who I care deeply about uh, and and find ways to to help them and support them during this. But it also fuels me at the same time because I get out of my own head and my own space uh, because when you're when, when we're in this, often we get tunnel vision. You know, we we, we get microscopically uh, or myopically focused uh, just on what's what our troubles are, what our issues yeah. are. Uh, and you know, this is not happening just to us. This is happening to everybody all over the world. Yep. So uh, so I think that's really really important. And look, you know, in this business, friends get friends work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's the way it was before. And I think that's the way it, it's going to be again. Yeah. The, the, the number one most important factor outside of worldly fame uh, for booking more gigs is, is the actual speech itself. Meaning, do you deliver a speech that is a referable speech? Uh, and so, you know, your friends, your colleagues who've seen you speak, they will refer you. Meeting planners who've seen you speak will refer you. Uh, audiences who've seen you speak will refer you. Uh, decision makers at organizations who've seen you speak will refer you. And so we want to make sure that we stay in close contact with all of those folks. And then, of course, and um, I imagine other guests have also said the same thing is work on your speech. Yeah. You know, it's like imagine being a professional athlete right now right. Uh, and not training. Yeah. Just like, yeah, well, I'll see how I do when I get back. Right. right. Professional <laughs> athlete is going to have, if you're a tennis player, you're going to have tennis courts at your house. You're going to have machines that feed you balls. Yeah. You're going to have a, a gym decked out with everything. If you're a speaker, you've got to have your space in your house where you rehearse. And yeah. that space is, is free of clutter. It's free of distractions. Uh, and you get go in there and you do deep work and you give yourself a good two hours, five days a week working on that speech. Just take the five minutes that need the most work, keep working that, 
until you feel like you've up-leveled it significantly by showing it to other people uh, and getting uh, the feedback. Then take the next five minutes that you think needs the most work and you keep working that. Very good. Michael, we appreciate the time. Again, I would encourage people to check out Steal the Show. Go pick it up wherever books are sold. Uh, in the meantime, if people want to find out more about you, what you guys are up to over at HPS, where, where can we go? Yeah. So heroicpublicspeaking.com, heroicpublicspeaking.com. We've got a, a virtual uh, a virtual performances primer that we've created, uh, which is uh, very, very comprehensive. So if people are doing more virtual work, they can go check that out. They can download that for free. The other thing that we've done, uh, Grant, is... Um, we put out a course for free, uh, just to give away to people, um, because, um, we, you know, we have all this content and we thought, well, let's see if, if, you know, if people have time, maybe they can use it. Uh, we came up with quite a, a, a cute, clever name. It's called pandemic proof performances. Ah, well PPP. Okay. All right. <laughs> Which we've also applied for. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, if people want to, uh, get access to that, we made it, uh, available, uh, and free through, I think June 1st, uh, to mirror the PPP timeline, although yeah, that, there you go. Well done. uh, and if they want to get a, uh, a, a download of that or access to the course, they can go to heroicpublicspeaking.com forward slash pandemic hyphen proof hyphen performances. So it's heroicpublicspeaking.com forward slash pandemic hyphen proof hyphen performances. Beautiful. After Thanks. they after they put it up, I, I thought maybe they should have just done PP, you know, like heroicpublicspeaking.com <laughs> PPP. That would have been easier. You could you could quickly make that and redirect it and exactly. it would be work out just as well. So Michael, we appreciate the time. Always good to see you. Uh, my my bald, beautiful brother. And uh, keep your head up. We'll talk soon. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michael Port. Again, I'd encourage you to uh, check out uh, he and his wife Amy's work over at Heroic Public Speaking as well as uh, Michael's book, Steal the Show. Hey, as always, uh, we want to continue to bring in some of these, uh, these conversations and interviews, do whatever we can to support you during this weird, unique, difficult time as speakers. So if there's anything we can do to help you, please don't hesitate to reach out, let us know. And uh, again, remember that your message matters. So keep sharing it. You're awesome. 